right, you guys ready to roll out here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Roll out. Sounds like audio crisp. Welcome to the North End Podcast, where three Canadians and an Englishman talk about English soccer. Welcome, Mr. Paul Forrest, Mr. Luke Connolly. How you fellas doing today? We good. Yeah. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. I we are. We. I'm not sure how Paul is. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Aces. Maybe you want to check with him, uh, you know, see how he's Aces. doing before you uh, assume anything. Yeah, don't uh, answer for me, Luke. Okay? You don't know how I feel about things. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, man. So um, so today we got a, we got a pretty... Pretty exciting, a pretty exciting, exciting episode for you. We're going to be talking about academy football in in the UK, but also in other locations as well. And we have a very special guest uh, today with us, Mr. Paul John Paul Wilson, who is a teacher and coach with the USSFD license, has ten years coaching at AC Brea, assistant coach for an AC Brea team who won over forty major honors, including winning the Dallas Cup, which is a major international youth tournament. And and you're going to like this, Luke. He's also an avid Villa fan. Welcome, JP. Thank you guys for having me. It's going to be awesome being on. And uh, thanks for Luke for uh, keep me giving me this pod and keep me busy over the last few weeks. <laughs> yeah, you need something to do, right? Some research? It's true, man. <laughs> I get so bored sometimes. You know, you can only watch uh, Sunderland Until I Die so many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So did you listen to our, you listened to our last, week, last week's podcast, JP? Because we, 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 we gave you more to listen to or watch as well, so, or read even. I, I I loved it. Um, there's a few other ones that I also really enjoy, and I actually just found a book uh, that I ordered called uh, "No Hunger in Paradise" by Michael Calvin, and it's about the academies because I just love to keep yeah. up with that stuff. It's great. I actually I actually some of the quotes I I found from are from that book for this episode. So interesting. You just mentioned it. I actually had his had him as a source in my uh, my, my my research that I did. So cool. Looks like a good book. So, Paulie, do you want to uh, you want to give us a lead on this? Yeah, so we started to dip our toes in this water last week, and I think uh, I think the economics of post COVID um, world kind of got us digging into academies because the feeling is that maybe academies will be more important in the future. But I'll be honest, uh, once upon a time when Luke was first on the show when he was critical of Manchester United, <laughs> one of his many That's points about. The decay of Manchester United was that the academy is is shit now compared to the past, and it, that actually set me off a while ago to go. Well, is that true? Because I don't think it's right. And then I started looking into academies loosely, and then this was an excuse to kind of really deep into uh, academies because personally, I, I I love the academies. I'm a Man United fan. You're you're always as good as the next batch of players, even if they don't make it. You kind of always know about them. Was it the um, class of ni- Sorry, Paul. Was it the class of '92 that was uh, the, at Man United or '93? Which one was that? Am I mistaken? That was the big one. Was, that all, you had all the players come through. There's like six or seven of them from the academy. Yeah, it was '92, and that was a. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a mis. It's a misunderstanding about that class. A lot of the players broke in that year, but that was still a team that had Cantona um, and a, a a lot of like really grizzled veteran players mixed in with some use, and I think that's. The, yeah, the, yeah. the element of that team, people seem to forget. They weren't just a bunch of kids. They they won with kids, but they weren't always a bunch of kids. Um, so one of the things I, I want to just bring to everybody's attention, because I think it's it's important, it's it's today's news. There was an article today with Sky Sports with Damian Kamali, uh, who is the football director uh, at Liverpool and Tottenham. 
And he's basically saying that the implications of COVID-19 are huge, that we might start seeing swaps is the norm or increasingly the norm. We might see more loans, uh, but there's going to be a massive decrease in transfer fees and that only in his mind, only about three clubs can afford to spend money coming out of this for the next season or maybe a couple of seasons, which really starts to force the issue of how our team is going to survive if they can't spend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask a real quick question um, in the premier league. Um, how important do you think academies are? And I'm going to ask it this way in the last 10 champions that have won the Premier League, and I'll, I'll, I'll give Liverpool the title for this exercise. 10 teams, 10 squads. How many regular players total of those 10 teams do you think were academy graduates from that club? So are we saying 23 players, like the 23-man squad? Are we talking about their, their key? Any, uh, anybody who had a significant role in those teams. It's going to be played, really low because the percentage yeah. of how many players and, make and, it into a, into a first combined. team. And it's combined. like 10, 10, 10 players, probably. I would say even that's probably a lot. I'm going to say five. Five, five or six. Five or six. six. I would have gone with six, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking people in my head, and I can picture two, maybe. I Honestly, no, I'd say if it's more than six, I'd be surprised. Yeah. You guys are killing this game by going so low. <laughs> it's got to be you low, would, though. Why would it, on 10 teams, you think it would be the number six? It's not. I think it, I'll, t- I I think, I'll tell you the answer. There's okay. 14. There's 14 oh, okay. academy 10 players. closer, yeah. So the across that, 10 different teams. Yeah, Paul, the reason I say that is because um, I do know from some of the research that I've done that the percentage of, ma- of the amount of players who are playing academies that get to the first team is incredibly low. I think it's like uh, for, a, for a player that's about that, that comes into academy at eight or nine years old, it's like 0.005% that they, that they get to the first team. And I think if they get to the academy a little later, like say 15 or 16, they have a better chance because they're already developed and they've gotten them at that point where they're developed. Um, but it's really low for them too, even. Uh, I forget what the, the exact percentage was, but I, I recall it just being like, wow, surprised the shit out of me. Well, I was really surprised when I did the math. And I got to tell you, 10 players, 10 academy graduates were on Man United title teams. So 10 players were represented by two of those titles. Of the other eight titles, only four academy players were on those That's- Bonkers, Other, dude. <laughs> and that's that's Leicester, that's Chelsea, that's Liverpool, that's Man City. And Chelsea, don't Chelsea have the best academy in England as well? I mean, I mean, I know they loan out everybody, but <laughs> you know, they do. No, they, it, they you know. significant investment when it's Chelsea. I know uh, Villa are up there. Villa have a fantastic yeah, academy. Yeah, I think they're fifth, fifth or something in the, in, or at least from last season they were fifth as far as academies in in uh, in England. I believe so. so yeah, around there. Right? It was higher than you'd think from a team that ended up in the championship. I mean, they're a big club. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not taking the piss here, but um, yeah. But uh, yeah, they have a. They've had a, a great academy for a long time. Well, this yeah. transitions into what I want to ask, though. What makes a great academy? How, how are we saying that Chelsea have got a great academy when I just told you of the times they've won the league? John Terry was the only academy product as a regular player. Uh, well, I, I can answer that, or I'd like to answer from my my perspective. I think that's because you you rate a, uh, a, the quality of academy on a lot of different factors. It's not whether they won the league or not. It's how much money do they make off the academy? How many players do they sell? How many? How well do those players do on other teams as well? So you know, there there's some quality there. Uh, that they end up, they end up in in other places as well. That. Um, that uh, th- their success rate should be measured on. I don't think you can just measure it on that one factor because it's important, obviously, because 
that's how you measure success generally in football is trophies, but they may have gone to another team and won trophies as well. So there's just the fact, I just think there's a lot of factors. So Well, I, totally. now you're saying trophies, but what I'm talking about is one player from their academy cracked the lineup to be a regular on those title winning teams. No, I know. And I get that, but I, JP's got a, something he wants to add. Go ahead, JP. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Southampton is one of the top academies in the country uh, for England. And they finished respectively 13, uh, 13, 14, 14, 15 and 15, 16 years, eight, seventh and six really well. But a lot of those players went on and did better things other places. Does, does that make them mm-hmm. successful with Southampton or does that make them successful at other clubs? Because you got Van Dyke and Mane who are basically winning the premier league. You got Luke Shaw, who's done pretty well at Man United, probably not what United would want, but still done well. Lalana, Victor Winyama, uh, Gareth Bale, like back in the old days. And they made over roughly 200 million pounds just on those five players. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that's another way of measuring it. It's not just the trophies, but uh, obviously it's a, it's an important, one of the important ways of measuring it. Luke, did you have uh, something you wanted to add? Uh, nothing, nothing really to add. I, I just think, um, I know that when people are doing like statistical breakdowns of, of a club's academy, um, there's three key factors that they actually look at. So the number one is promotion to the first team. So how many players from said academy have managed to break into that first team? Number two is a player, a player placement in the top five leagues. So, uh, you know, in the top five leagues across Europe, how many of this team's academy players managed to break into a, a first team across those those leagues. And the third was the youth academy success. Now, that is not always the case. And, and you know, as, as JP pointed out, some great players can go on and then you've, you've left the team that they've come from struggling. Um, but it doesn't, it, it's, it's a really strange thing because when, when this was all set up, you know, you know, the whole idea of, of academies only came into, into fruition in kind of like the late 90s. So Howard Wilkinson was the um, FA, I think he was director of football for the FA at the time. And he introduced something called the Charter for Quality. So what that did, that overhauled the youth development. It removed um, kind of young players from, from schools and youth clubs and it established these academies for the teams to kind of grow that English talent. So, you know, this is the late 90s, you know, around the time where England had been fielding some some truly incredible, incredible um, kind of like international teams, but they knew that, that there was a there was a there was a lacking, there was a weakness. So back in '97, this this was started. So you know, another question we have to ask ourselves in is if we find ourselves 23 years on from from that uh, from that charter, just how successful has that even been? Like, is is this still something? And and you know, the point has to be made that from a successful academy, you would you would expect successful players for a team, but more importantly, you'd expect successful players for the national nation. And the point still remains that England ha- have still not won anything for a very, very long time. Yes, the semi-final was fantastic and, and sure, uh, bar maybe a ball being squared, it, you know, that could have been more, but it, it's still not good enough considering the money that's in the UK. So it's, it's very hard to, to kind of quantify. Yeah, for sure. JP, did you have something you wanted to add there? It, yeah, it was like it was the same thing. It's like, you yeah. know, if you look at the 90s and the, the mid-2000s and even later on, the, the Champions League finalists, I think you'd find a pretty fair amount before and after the, the 2000s of, okay, in the mid-90s, there's this many English teams winning Champions Leagues. Yeah. And there's probably pretty similar numbers there. I, I didn't have that one looked up already, um, anticipating a Champions League understanding of that. But um, if, if you're going by that, then there's no real advantage to having the academies or not because those teams that 
potentially won the Champions League before, still the team's winning it later on, and you still haven't won a World Cup. Yeah, and so let me chime in on this real quick, if you guys don't mind. Uh, A lot of the reason for that is the teams in the Premier League specifically who play in the Champions Leagues don't have very many English players on those teams. And so, you know, most, I think what the percentage is, uh, well, I think it's one in 10 or something like that, players that uh, on on a top team in the Premier League are are from a local club or from an English club. So you've got mostly foreign players. So you're not going to, those, those academies aren't feeding the clubs the way they're supposed to be. The the intention of it was initially to feed those clubs, but that's not what's happening. We're seeing the Man Cities of the world, the Chelsea's of the world, bringing in, uh, you know, players from other uh, from other countries to, to to fill up their squads and not using their youth and they're selling their youth uh, to make money off of them rather than betting them into the first team so yeah it's a it's a problem I also my also understanding is that I don't think the intention of the academies was for every team to have one I think there was there was supposed to be a minimum minimal amount of academies that were you know specific to some of the bigger clubs but uh, Paul did you have something you want to add yeah I think it, just to summarize from what I found Success for an academy is varied by the actual needs of the club. First and foremost, what is the need of the club? And that defines what success is for each club. So for some academies, they may say, well, if they're successful academies like Chelsea, they're winning trophies at academy level. Chelsea are very prestigious academy club winning trophy. The trophy case is huge. Yeah, they're under 18s is bonkers, right? It's like they're famously famously very good. But if you look at who's getting promoted into the first team, the results are very shy, except for this year, and that's a that's a forced hand. Then yeah. there's the, the feed the club mentality. They're there to feed the club with youth and inject uh, pace and, and and mentality of a Man United, my own club, with guys like Rashford who are there getting promoted into the first team or being in opportunities. That's how they need the academy to structure. And then there's teams like Southampton who are really just there to feed the bank. That academy is there as a revenue opportunity for the club. Develop top talent, sell it all. You'll never keep Gareth Bale. They know that, but they're going to make a hell of a lot of money on a. a I think he was like seventeen when they sold him once upon a time. And there's a. I was younger than that. We went to Spurs at like fifteen, I think, fifteen or right. sixteen. Yeah. But he, and there's a, there's a tie-in for every time he got sold, more money kept going back mm-hmm. to Southampton. So it's a real revenue generator if you can develop top talent. But you never intend to keep that top talent. It's and then a bit there's like Ajax too, right? Like if like Ajax would kind of fit into that similar category, more of a feeder club for Europe. But like they kind of do that as well, even though they win everything. And it's the Ajax. Ajax have been routinely competitive uh, for for a few years now. They're never hugely competitive in Champions League, Sticking but last up and down a bit, right? Last year was a very pinnacle year for them mm-hmm. um, because they had seven guys from the academy in the deepest stages of the Champions League they'd ever been. But the last time they sold, they they invested more on purchases than they sold was 2007. Every single year, what they buy is is less than what they sell on for. If you look at who they sold like last couple of years, they they I think it was 180 million pounds worth of uh, sell-ons for a wow. club is basically the feeder system of all of Holland. Uh, so they've they've got the the sell-on club role for academies down packed and nobody seems to mind because they're still able to compete. And And I think IX fans are really, uh, they're fans of anybody who came through their academy, no matter where they go, there's a love to them. Probably take pride in it, right? Like, because, you know, like they came through our system and our system is the best in the world and we, we bring, we bring them through it and we 
sell them Very. for tons of money. And uh, the next guy comes in and we're still just as good or close to as good. They still win the league every year. And, right. you know, like you said, like, uh, you know, there's a, still a cycle for, for Champions League and for Europe. But, and um, that's a very unique arrangement they have with that understanding. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and then the next qualification for success would have to be, I think, uh, and this is maybe more for, for players picking an academy and their family picking an academy, would be, are you going to become a professional if not for the parent club, then for somebody, because you've been given the skill set to earn a living playing football. Um, of all the clubs that do that in the Premier League, Man United vastly eclipse everyone else in that they have eight times more graduates from their academy currently playing somewhere in the Premier League, if not for Man United. Uh, but it is a, it's, it's an evaluation of success. If they can make them into professionals, then they're doing their job as well. Um, which is, it's just very, it's a very interesting tiered evaluation of what a good academy is. Um, and then you have to start looking at it by players. So if you start looking at academies and you start looking at what I'll call generational players, the guys who at 17 or 18 are obviously going to be something special. Academies have their strengths and weaknesses for those players. Their academies aren't always the right thing for somebody who you just know will be a phenom in a few years. It's also, sorry, just JP, we'll get to you in one second. It's also uh, important to point out that the data available for this stuff to determine the measurements on it isn't very good. It's uh, most of the the stuff that I researched on it was like the clubs don't really want to give up this information because it's useful to Very them. difficult. Yeah, and so it's hard yeah. to get it. So, I mean, not to say that what we're saying isn't likely true or doesn't have some truth to it. Um, it's important to note that a lot of this is, um, a lot of this is, uh, is, is yeah, <laughs> not, um, not necessarily as accurate as you'd like it to be. JP, go ahead. Yeah. Um, it was interesting that you brought up like, Hey, those kids could go on and play somewhere else because Villa while this year, we've only used two Academy players. Mm. There's been a, a huge plethora of Academy players throughout the premier league and the championship and lower leagues of guys that have came through. They played a few games. We had to sell them off players like Barry Bannon or even play, a great player like Gary Cahill, who did uh, phenomenally well with Chelsea, uh, Mark Albrighton won a premier league with Leicester. Um, you know, you get a whole host of these, but then you think of a club like Villa as a team that should be promoting youth players and helping fill the squad and they don't one of the studies that I, I looked up into was that out of the bottom five clubs they usually average less youth players being used in their squad than the middle five teams because they're just pressed you know they need to make that money they need to make those points they need to stay in the premier league and they can't they don't trust on their youth enough to make that stay yeah, it's, they, a, it's a risk versus up. reward scenario right like whether right. or not they bring them through because if right. they do and then they fail then they're fucked kind of thing right development is the tricky thing because development of a young player means you're guaranteed to get mistakes and if you're at the bottom of a table you can't risk those mistakes and if you're competing you for got the time. Table, if you're competing for a title you also can't compete for those mistakes that's why Man City is an impossible task for anybody to break into because they just can't afford to the luxury of, of what maybe a Newcastle did mid-season, mid-pack of trying things with kids. It, it's a, it's is a, there a, to crack. Is there an argument, though, that, that maybe really that the big issue, though, is, is that academies are not what they once were. So, you know, when this was founded and this Charter for Quality was set up in 1997, the idea was to was to transition a better quality of youth players across the UK and, and hopefully, you know, giving and leading ultimately to, to better English players. You, whereas now, you know, even if you look outside the UK, even, uh, you know, world-renowned kind of academies such as, you know, let's say Ajax, where they had 
for the last 30, 40 years, they've produced incredible players, you know, and all of a sudden the mindset is not so much about producing these players, having them play for Ajax, having them play for Villa, whoever it is, it's about flipping them. And that, that these players are now seen as uh, like the, the academies potentially are a, are a finishing school rather than a, you know, a, an actual growth entity to, to bring you up into a club. And, you know, there is, there is a real problem with that because within the UK, that is the, the most talked about problem. You know, it will come up every year and especially when there's a, a big international tournament, be it the Euros or the World Cup, the conversation will always be around why England, with all the money and all the, all the eyes and all, all this, have still not managed to win a major championship. And and that that is something that, you know, maybe it's because these these youth systems are changing. Yeah, I, think I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair. Sorry, I don't think it's fair. And here's why. <laughs> We're all like, oh, I got to talk. <laughs> Everything uh, that happened with Brexit recently, and they're putting on caps on how much foreign talent can go into academies, they've done the research to look into it. And nobody has suffered... Because foreign talent, and that's what you're talking about, foreign talent is coming into the Premier League. So English talent is seen as not being able to get those opportunities to but, grow but into those roles. For the international are. team is... But it's not. It not. They've done a statistic analysis. The, the youth setups in England have been doing fine because they're benefiting from playing with foreign talent and it's having foreign coaching. That are problematic. It's that who gets into the first team, who plays with adults at the highest level. And I said, I mentioned this earlier, the amount of English players that are playing in a Premier League side this is, 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 is so small. So that, that sample size that you have to work from that are, that are regular. That's why your, your Jaden Sancho's are playing in, in, in Germany because he knows he's going to get first team football. If he gets that first team football and he's playing well, he's going to play, play for England. If you're in England and you barely make a, a, a team, you're lucky enough to get into the first, the first team and get some minutes, you're not necessarily going to get into the England team because there's so many other players that are tr- vying for that one or two positions in a squad to get right. to that position. So I understand all that because I also did my research. So let, let's go Let's go into it a little bit more because I think what I can do to context contextualize this is it's clubs and players. I, I always think the variables are clubs and players. Certain players are, they're tiered in, in quality. Certain clubs are tiered in, in what they need. So if you talk about generational players, you get the guys who are good enough at the right time. And that's always the combination. They could be good enough, but if there's somebody better than them already in the lineup, they're not going to get a chance. So you get a guy like uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, good enough at the right time because he was good enough at the right time where they needed a right back and he cracks in. And then there are lots of examples of guys who are not good enough and it's at the right time. So they get the chance, Mm. but it's a flop and it doesn't work out. And they can still be a generational talent. So good enough or not good enough, but not at the right time could be Kevin De Bruyne at Chelsea. He was does the system ruin that though. I don't I don't think it does because I think there's an aspect to this that academies can only give them so much exposure to the game that everybody develops at a different level. And from going mm. academy level to any of the top, top six clubs or even the Premier League is probably an unnecessary jump to expect anybody to make. You can't go from sure. playing with kids week in, week out. And then going to play in the, the hardest, toughest, fastest league in the Premier League, the expectation for success from academy to the Premier League, it's already kind of a flawed jump to expect these kids to do. So, so I, have a, I, I was actually kind of disagreeing with you there, Paul, but actually what you've just said um, kind of brought it around nicely. And it's a point I wanted to make is that, and I'm probably like yourself, Brian, when I went digging and, and was kind of looking at, you know, trying to look at A, 
academies are on general in the UK, worldwide. What I started seeing was the real lack of highlighting of youth talent. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is the lack of opportunity in tournaments. There are these weird little tournaments that have been set up all over the years. So back in the early uh, 2010 to 2013, three years, there was one called the Next Generation Series. And it was highly lauded. Like people really liked the concept. There were some massive teams got behind it. Like uh, Bayern Munich had a team, Chelsea had a team, loads of like big clubs got involved. They had good sponsorship. They got suffocated in 2013 because UEFA didn't really like what they were doing. They didn't like that this this uh, third party entity, which one of the founding uh, members of, of the three who set up Next Gen was actually the Brentford owner. And another guy was a, a TV mogul or, you know, a producer and stuff. So it was a bit of a weird thing. So UEFA established a youth tournament. And then really the youth tournament hasn't seen the investment that it should have had because you know, when I went digging, for example, uh, Chelsea are the most successful team in in its history. It's only been running for about five, uh, about six years now. And Chelsea have won it twice. They've come runner-up at least once. And their most successful was 2015-2016 um, was their second. It was the back-to-back victory in, the, in this youth tournament. And some of the players who who did well in that tournament in, included the likes of Tavi Abraham, uh, Tamori, lads who are now featuring regularly in, in that Chelsea lineup. So, but it took me you know, close to 15, 20 minutes to actually find a web article with the just even just the lineup of that Chelsea team that appeared. So, you know, here's another side is, is that maybe the clubs have have more to do. Maybe that, you know, the academies themselves could be changed. But maybe the problem is, is not even just with academy, it's with actual investment and actual, uh, you know, as you said, a, a good ladder system to take you from this age group and this this quality to to a to a to a top league. There's you know, and, and that's something. JP, go ahead. You got some. Sorry, there's too big of a jump between the academy and the first team, and even these little tournaments they're creating, like the next gen and the Champions League youth tournament, isn't enough for these players. And that's why I brought up the idea: is the loan play, is the loan system killing it? Because those players who can't develop enough to make that jump to the first team, they go on loan. You got Tammy Abraham, who was at Villa, he was at Swansea, he was at wherever the five different places he's been. Uh, All over, yeah. Hudson, Adoy hasn't really been on loan that I noticed. Tamori was on loan. All of those players who are now around the Chelsea team and making sizable contributions to Chelsea, um, all rated between probably 10 and 35, 40 million pounds. They did it because they went out on loan somewhere and their academies could not provide them the competition high enough to make it feasible to get into the first team. Yeah, it's interesting. I, JP, you and I were chatting uh, just before we, we potted about, I, did you guys hear about this new rule, Luke and Paul, about the uh, um, Premier League teams are only going to be able to loan out a maximum of eight players at a time per season. Um, something I just read about that was, I think, implemented for next season. It's not obviously right now, but so the teams like Chelsea who have loaned out up to 40 players, I think, last season. Uh, would Insane only, amounts. Crazy, would only be able to loan out eight, which means that they're going to your teams will sort of be forced to use their academies. Now, with the situation we're in with the COVID and everything else, that might that might seem like easy an easy thing to do. But prior to that, you know, a team like Chelsea who has that, man, that many players coming through um, wouldn't necessarily be able to make the money that they would make off of that. And then in, in doing so, would have to find a way to, ways to integrate them or just sell them, sell them to a team where they're going to get first team football. So give them an opportunity where they can go to maybe to the championship for a couple seasons, whether it's on loan or even just been, been bought by by one of those teams and play down there for a little bit and get play with men and then get to the level where you're, if you're good enough, you get to the, you get to the Premier League. Uh, Paul, you, you, you had something you want to add? 
Yeah, I actually think that um, rule is in reaction to uh, the recent events. I think Chelsea were one of the the guilty mm-hmm. parties of Man City were certainly guilty of it. Yeah, they both were. And I think that was in the article that talked about that. Buying up and hoarding all the top young players. Mm-hmm. So when you're getting all the top young players and you're you're putting them all into the same facility and you're giving them the tools to be an athlete and be professional, that's great. But a, a Phil Foden at Man City could have been a real impact player for an Aston Villa, for a Birmingham, mm-hmm. for anyone else that could have had him. So when they gather them all up and then can't guarantee him, no, there's no way they can guarantee them anywhere close to first team football. It's a, it's a joke at Man City specifically, but what they can say is we will, sure. we will loan you out to the top teams in Europe we will get you potential cup experience, European experience. We're a big name. We can promote you. We have lots of connections. But if you if you minimize that loan, then players, when they're 15 with their families and their agents sitting down signing contracts at Academy, will be more mindful of, well, what's the playing opportunity I'm about to get? Even if it's yeah, a is loan. This the right is this the right club for me? And what will I get out of it if I sign here? It's in, Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Uh, JP, do you have some you want to add? Gina Sancho was bought by Dorman for 10 million pounds. What is now really 70 to 120 million pounds? The the value of that is just insane because of the exposure and game time. He actually got in a league being competitive on a top team. If Phil Foden got a whole season, I would, I would like, He'd be incredible. <laughs> the amount of highlight yeah. he would have would be crazy. His value would be through the roof, but he's never going to get that time because they're importing so many players. I mean, we're getting away from a little bit from the academies, but isn't that a way? It's, it, it's a, it affects it, though, for sure. Because Chelsea's academy runs on average for between 10 to 15 million pounds for a single year. And so if Chelsea is going for 10 to 15 million pounds for their whole academy for a year, all they have to sell off is two, three, four budding youngsters to pay for that whole year. Now, if you can do that and you eventually sell someone like they sold um, – Jorgen Hazard for 10 million pounds. They sold Ryan Bertrand, who came through their academy, and helped them win a Champions League final yeah. for 11.5 million pounds. That pays for the whole season of the academy. And that should be what the cusp of lower end Premier League teams are doing. But as I noted, they're not doing that. They're not utilizing their young players. They're not playing them because they're so crunched. They're so just trying to stay up. Instead of staying up, why don't you just make the players play, play the youth players, and get some revenue too? Yeah, it's, so it's a tricky one. You've identified uh, what is an, an increasing trend for what I'll go back and call a generational player. I mean, a guy who's so good that you know eventually he's going to be a star amongst the game. A lot of them are going, fuck this. I know I'm not good enough to crack Man City. I know I'm better than being loaned out to lower divisions in England. I'm going to mm-hmm. make my move now to a Bruce McDormand is a great example Jaden Sancho is a great uh, – the mold for this move now is is what he's doing. Holland 100%. right now did the same thing. It's a stepping stone club. They won't keep you. It's a stepping stone league. You will shine and play in it, and you'll still have profile because you'll get Champions League. You'll get all the eyes of the world, but you won't deal with the bullshit press of England uh, Jaden Sancho shows up late for an English practice. It's a huge deal. He shows up late in, in, in Dortmund. It's Nobody even writes about it in the press. He can take the time to turn into the 100 million player that he's about to become. And that's because he sidestepped relying on Man City, his parent club, relying on academies, relying on loans, 
he just cashed in his chips and said, thanks for the, thanks for training me. Thanks for making me the player I am now. I'm now responsible for my own path and my own career, which I think you're going to see a lot more players doing if they're generational, really super talented players. For sure. But if so, so with that in mind, then I'd ask all three of you, like just really simply, then would you say right now that academies aren't worthwhile? Would you say that there's there's a point to them or no? Um, Realistically, I think I would I would probably say that there's a point to them, um, but I think they perhaps need to restructure them and how they function with the first team. I think that they're missing uh, an opportunity there to to make that transition easier or make it f- easier for the player to determine if they want to want to stay for that trade. I don't know how it would work. It'd be take a bit of time to maybe structure it. Maybe it's something we can think about and come back to. But uh, I do think that, that the idea of an academy and what it's supposed to do is very good. I think it's how it's functioning uh, currently within the system isn't. Now, having said that, coming back to sort of where we are when it, when it comes to um, the situation with, the, with COVID and everything, um, that might change dramatically because of of that situation, but go ahead, Paul, you got, you, you have an answer for that as well. I, w- I would say there's absolutely a point to academies. It's just not as cut and dry as academies being the feeder of new talent to your club anymore. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's more nuanced than that. It it's individual application to each club. Man United have six guys playing in their re- regular starting 11 who are Academy products. That's their story. That's how they use it. Chelsea had a, a transfer ban covered by all the academy guys. They finally gave an opportunity to play. That's how they used it. Newcastle rarely play academy guys because they don't invest in academy that often and because they're trying to compete and they don't really want to give young guys a chance. But occasionally an academy guy, like a, a long brother, will come in and surprise everybody. That's how mm-hmm. they use it. I just don't think there's a, a one-shoe-fits-all model for this. And... And it's tough to really evaluate, particularly when not every academy is created equal. Man City's facility coaching and recruitment are phenomenal. Compare that to Norwich. Yeah, not the same thing. Yeah, Dog shit. Yeah, for sure. Just to note on that quickly, JP, before you, you answer as well, uh, the, research, the research that I did that uh, the, they specifically said the variation in clubs is so dramatic that measuring this accurately is part of the reason why there's problems with the data. It, you yeah. know, it, the difference between a Newcastle and a Man City is so different, how it's set up and how it functions and how they use it, even between Chelsea and Man City, who both have similar sort of, you know, uh, they both have money and they can spend, but how they use their academies are, 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 is different, even though there's some similarities. But JP, what, what was your response to that? I mean, I was going to say, unless you're a Dortmund, an Ajax, a Fignorn, a, a Southampton, the answer is the academies have no bearing on the first team anymore. It's just a, a mental high ground of, hey, we have these three guys in our first team. They're playing game in, game out. That's like a win for us, right? Like that's that's not really the point anymore of the academies. The point of the academies is to tie into the community. Right, get players off the street, get players that were never going to have this chance. Right, the the Mane's of the world, who, like he says, he grew up playing with no shoes, he had no formal education. Now, now all he wants to do is get back to the community. Uh, you know, props to him, but that's not really the point of academies anymore. It is to play into the community. It is to play into this moral high ground of, Hey, we are doing something good for the society around us. And that should be a a win-win for everybody. So, uh, I have an answer. So, so the reason I asked you that is, is for a particular reason, but I just want to p- uh, pick up on what you just said there, JP. So, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, there's a moral high ground of these academies that are offering more to the to the community and stuff like that, which is understandable. But the other side of that is that 
only 1% or less of the players that are going through these academies are ever going to have a professional career. That's that's the statistics that are being that are being released. That's what they're saying. About 100,000 young schoolboys are going through these academies and less than 1% are actually making a professional career. Now, on top of that, something that was really incredibly worrying was they did um, at Newcastle University did a did a study about five years ago. And the guy who ran the study was it was 2015, and it was a, a David Blake clock did a, a study, Dr. David Blake clock, and he found that 55 percent of players that had been released uh, after within 21 days after, and then he'd interview them, he found there was clinical levels of psychological stress levels. Mm-hmm. So, so now what we're talking about, you've just said that you know we're making a, a difference to a community stuff. So we're taking a hundred thousand. Well, it's a point. It's it's a it's a hundred thousand young lads who are told from from the age of eight upwards, "Hey, you're going to be a professional footballer. You've got to go to training three times a week. You play a game on a Sunday." Parents are traveling around the country, like like you could, you know, you could probably make comparisons to to here in Canada with hockey, yeah. you know. And it's it's a big expenditure. Really, is there a great community side? And and the the other point I wanted to bring back, and I'll let you obviously respond to that, JP, but you know, you you mentioned Ajax and you mentioned the likes of final and stuff like that. So Ajax are still so relevant in, in the way that they run their academies. You know, things have changed. The likes of the Johan Cruyffs, the Edgar Davids, they're not staying at Ajax like they used to. So they realize that the business model has changed. But in 2017, Van der Sar, who is now the CEO of Ajax, they traveled to China and they announced a five-year partnership with Zhang Zhao RNF, which at the time they said would be the best youth academy in China. The following year, they opened an office in New York because they realized that there was a positive influence of, of the future of soccer that the major league, the MLS, was making, and they wanted a part of it. So, so Ajax are actually a polar opposite of what they're saying. And, and you know, none of us are going to say that any, really, is there any team in the world that do a better youth academy than Ajax? They're actually investing more time, more money, and more effort into bringing into academy. So, so maybe there is an argument that, that, that there is a wrong thinking. Maybe a, an academy shouldn't be seen as the like that, hey, bring them in, let them play, then they have to go off. You know, that's not what's happening at Ajax. Ajax are producing quality. Their last two, two big signings went to both Juventus and Barcelona, respectively. So I don't know. And these weren't old guys. This was a 19-year-old and what, and a 20, 21-year-old? Delete and then, and um, I forget his name now. But but going back to my previous point about the community thing, JP, I'd lo- I'd love to get your your thought on that. Um, I will I will jump into that because I think that's one that I, I'm actually asked to be here a little bit more about is is the community side about it. I do a lot of that, and um, there is a huge benefit to having these kids. Um, I do teach a lot of these kids that are now that I taught and coach when they're little. And now I'm teaching them in high school, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. And some of these soccer players that grew up at a young age in the club environment, they are doing very well in school. They are better socialized. They are able to go out and just be better members of, of the community and society. Um, but I have to kind of put a little bit on, on the flip side of this because I used to teach for an online school that did the education for the LA Galaxy Academy. 
And so the LA Galaxy Academy had some budding stars, players like Alex Mendez, Ulysses Lanez, and Efren Alvarez are all players who have done very well for themselves. Efren Alvarez is one of the youngest players to ever play for the LA Galaxy. He, uh, in his first, I think it was his first appearance, he got a chip in for an assist to Zlatan. Um, he has 14 games with the LA Galaxy as 17-year-old. Um, Ulysses Lanez, he just moved to Wolfsburg. He had 16 games under his belt, 11 goals and 6 assists. He's already rated at like 250 thousand uh, dollars alex mendez just signed for uh Ajax as a 19 year old um so you get these players who are moving from nowhere around la communities places that sometimes they're they're not super financially affluent if you will and yeah, similar to what money situation was right like you know? Yeah, I mean, these kids are given everything when they're at the academies, and this is one giant benefit of the academies. The academy controls everything. They control what they eat. They control what they learn. They control how many hours they practice. They control everything down to the T. These kids, they control what these kids wear. And so it's it's really kind of, I don't know, man. It's all over the park on some of these things. Some of it's really great. It does help the community. Sometimes it's really negative. It's a business. They're trying to make money off it. So yeah. you know, it's all over the place sometimes. Quick question for you, JP. Do you think, you know, you work in the, the, the system in North America and specifically in the U.S. Is there, what what do you think the difference is between the system in the U.K. Um, and the system here in North America? Is, is it dramatic? It, does that, you're talking about the community and how it works in the community. Community is that a cultural thing? Do you think, or is that is it vary enough that um, maybe that that the results you would get in in the UK compared to the results in the US? Or is there what's the variation, or what do you think it is? A very interesting point. I'm going to put two things, and they're both kind of opposite, so it, it flips itself sometimes. One is obviously the cultural backgrounds. The United States is just coming on leaps and bounds uh, of accepting soccer and really growing with soccer, but they have a lot to make up on. We have a lot of growing room. Our coaching needs to get better, right? We need to get much cheaper coaching education. My next license is like $3,000 to get. So that's like like 2,000 pounds just to get the next coaching license. Um, It's crazy. Could we own you here at the North End? If we we paid for your... If we found a way of paying, could we have our very own way into the U.S.? Oh, let's, uh, let's do that. No, no, like, no, like, no, we're not sponsoring U.S. players over my dead, rotting Canadian <laughs> bacon-filled body. Hey, Sam Allardyce, man, says you can get those three-way ownerships. It's just, you know, a few pies and he'll make it happen. That's <laughs> a good old big Sam. We're uh, oh, making up that ground. Uh, but we still are a long ways off. We don't have enough soccer fields. We don't have enough high-level refs. We don't have – we just dropped out the uh, the U.S. soccer academy system that we had playing, the DA, the Developmental Academy system. This week, they actually just declared that they are stripping that. They're getting rid of it because it costs about $15. Wow. Yikes. And that was the high-level competition. Some of the teams I, I played – I coached for, um, they would play those teams. And, you know, we'd lose 3-1. But, you know, my little town of Brea, California that has – 45, 55,000 people is competing against some of these Galaxy Academies and FC Dallas. We won the Dallas Cup beating FC Dallas Academy in uh, in the final on just a slugfest of a game. And, you know, we're making steps t- to make that up. But at the same time, there's so much difference. You know, we are really fighting kind of against the curve here because so many kids go into football, so many kids go into basketball. There's a real surge of basketball love here in the United States, not just from Kobe, uh, but from kind of the, the growth of LeBron and, and the heat and still left over from that. Uh, yeah. So it is, it, it, you are seeing massive changes, but we still have a long way to go. I would say the academies 
statewide are getting closer and closer to a potentially academies in England. Um, considering a lot of our academies were playing teams in England in major tournaments um, and sometimes beating them. But we don't have those numbers. We don't have the numbers of the academies. We don't have it grown up like where you have a bunch of academies in one state. You know, California is ginormous. It's just huge. Texas is size of Canada, <laughs> population-wise. It, it really is, right? It's, it's hey, actually like, exactly the same. 30 million. Texas is astronomically huge it's giant and it's sort of, you know you got california you got texas you got miami and, and kind of new york is coming up there it's kind of the hotbeds of soccer in the united states you also have some kind of seattle port so it's a side point sorry to cut you off joe but really quick side point you know do you think then the likes of you know uh into miami you know with david beckham an incredibly recognized face in soccer whether you're Portuguese, Brazilian, English, German, American, you know who David Beckham is, you know? Or at least you know that he had a, had a very attractive wife who was part of a, a pretty decent pop band in the, in the mid-90s. You know, but what do you think, you know, with someone with your experience and, and your background in that youth coaching, do you, do you think there is that potential that that he brings a little bit more attention and then they start to invest? Because and the, la- the last figures that I read years ago was that Soccer was the biggest played sport still in the U.S. It sounds crazy, but because really, realistically, you don't need anything. You need a ball, a couple of a couple of sweaters. You throw them down, and that that's the game. Whereas I played American football at university, and you know, at eighteen, like, but then I had to buy the pads and the gear and and, and the travel, and then you need, you know, all the coaching staff, and then you need, you know. Um, uh, like uh, first aiders and everything, because it is a very high intense and and you know how how does the how does the US transition and and how do you know how maybe is the is the concentration the focus on academies maybe the future for MLS? Well, you just open a can of worms, really. Um, I would definitely say that you uh, you kind of hit a nail on the head on one of the biggest things is like okay, United States does have one of the largest soccer populations in the world, but that soccer po- population is roughly under the age of fourteen. And that's yeah. because at the age of 14, at the age of 12, that's when you get those kids really committing to a sport. They're really falling in love with one or two sports and they're really kind of diving in. At that point, soccer United States starts to get really expensive. If you're a youth player, if you're a, a really little one, right, you're a seven to a 10 year old, you're, you're talking anywhere between a thousand, maybe 1500 bucks for a whole year. God damn. You know, that's about a hundred bucks a month. That's a lot. And then when you get up to the higher levels, oh my gosh, the team I was coaching with, that was like $4,000 for some. And the only reason why we were able to make it was because we kind of had a, a financial backer who supported some of the players and, and helped alleviate some of their financial burdens because he won a top team and, and he achieved that. He was, he, A, he's a great person. And, and B, he wasn't selfish. It wasn't like, hey, my kid has to start at all. Um, and his kid was on the team, but it was, he just wanted to see a top level team and what it could really be with a top level coach. That coach that I worked awesome. with for so long went on. He's now coaching at LAFC Academy. Um, and he's, you know, he says he's wow. there 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock every day. He doesn't leave there till eight, nine o'clock at night sometimes. And then he has to drive an hour, an hour and a half, depending on the traffic in LA. So, you know, you're talking a, a big switch there, but that money, that money aspect in the United States is kind of big. And so it's crazy when uh, U.S. soccer actually just applied to get relief funds for COVID from the government. And it's wow. like, yeah, supposedly. That's crazy. 
last six to eight years, we were supposed to have 160 million in backup funds. And now they're saying we might be as low as 40 millions. And it's like, wait, hold on. You're tapping into a, we're getting way off here, but you're tapping into a policy here for small businesses. And you're talking about the whole U.S. soccer kind of playing into this. It's just so big. Yeah, infrastructure. Missing the infrastructure, right? In, in the U.S. Yeah. as far, and I mean, I think, I think we, we chatted a bit about that, about academies as well. And I've noticed, I noticed that with, with the TFC Academy, because it's, uh, it's local where I am, where, where we are right now, Toronto, they have a, like a, what seems like a pretty good academy set up. And they've, they've had some players come into the first team in the, in recent years. Um, I think last year they had one or two, got another two who were, who were coming in this season before it got. Uh, postpone. Um, it's nice to see that. You know, I grew up playing footy. I think I quit probably around the time when you would normally have, um, uh, like, you would need that sort of step to the next level, which would be an academy, which would be say, hey, this player's good enough. I'm not saying I would have made it. I'm probably not even close to good enough, but that was when I decided to stop playing because I was like, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm like 16 years old. I started smoking cigarettes. I started thinking about girls more than more than football. And uh, so the reality kicks in. But if you don't have that in place there where, where kids can kind of realize, you know, they can make maybe a better decision. They can say, I'm going to go play football rather than do those other stupid things because, wow. because it's available, right? Whereas, you can do the both. You can chase women yeah, and yeah, me and JP met say, watching football but chasing women. That's in, the, in the UK, you, they were doing that. They were doing that up and, you know, up until the mid nineties before it got a little bit uh, too much media involved. But um, it was more of a, it was more of a, just a point of like, I think a lot of, People in North America, a lot of kids in North America, they never had nowhere to go. There was nowhere to go. The MLS didn't exist. Uh, it was NASL and the USL and um, these sort of like pseudo leagues that kind of like tried to function in some capacity, but never really, other than when Pele played in New York City was like the the, the sort of the peak of it back in the day that they had nowhere to go. So, Cultures, you know, whereas wow, Ameri- yeah. American football, there's a place to go. Um, uh, and, and basketball, there's a place to go, uh, if, especially because of the association with college and university basketball basketball to to the pros there's there's a connection there which didn't exist in as much in the in uh, the u.s but paul did you have something you want to add there uh yeah usually when you go on about being like an al bundy pokai moment uh you don't know that al bundy used to tell the story about how he could have been a pro because he scored four touchdowns that i could put words in my mouth i just uh, i actually literally said i probably couldn't have been so, i actually anyway, think go. the discussion about the the growth of the sport of uh, soccer in the United soccer. States is, is is definitely one I would want to unpack. Um, but I'm kind of watching us unpack it and going more and more away from the Premier League and academy players. Yeah, so sure. I'll pose for sure. I'll pose this question: um, If the economics of COVID nineteen back in the next couple of seasons, the reality is there are no longer millions and millions to play. Some are spend. Some teams will have them. Most teams will not, and they're still striving to survive in the Premier League. What if anything can be done to give these current academy setups for the current Premier League or even the the division below a chance to rely on an injection of talent from their academies, because? It's not like they saw this coming. They weren't in, investing heavily in their academies to fulfill the need to compete. They were still thinking spending is the solution. Is there is there a way to rejig things to make academies uh, a bit more of a triage? JP, do you want to uh, you want to start off? Yeah, I mean, I think something you really hit on there was 
with COVID, there is going to be a drop off. But I actually, I, I, I agree. I think there is going to be a drop off for maybe even two to three seasons. But what's going to stop major clubs, like an, not even a major club, in a club like Everton, a club like Wolves, or a club like West Ham from still dropping another thirty million dollar player in two or three years' time? What's going to stop them from trying to drop fifty million dollar player in three years' times when they actually do recover and things start picking up again? There's nothing really that's going to change that. I, it, in the short term, maybe, but not in the long term. Um, one of the things that I've I've read and kind of uh, did a little research on is the idea of opening up the benches, right? So if the bench sits, what does a bench sit now? Seven players? Yeah, so I think so. Seven players uh, on the bench, yeah. Why don't you take one spot away, but add an extra one, right? So instead of having, and that sounds not right, but instead of having seven spots, you have eight spots, but two of those spots have to be for a U19 squatted player. Yeah. I like that that idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's a good, that's a good idea. I mean, I do think that you're going to see, I mean, I don't know, maybe you won't see that, but I, I, that's somebody should say, Hey, (laughs) FA, this is, you know, if you're if we're going to figure this out and we're going to figure out how to move forward with the situation we're in, as well as give these, these players a a chance, then that's probably a a very good idea. Luke, what what did you want to add? Well, for me, I want to unpack yeah, it. Sure, go, sure, go. Well, maybe Luke was about to unpack it. I, I'm not sure. Were you, Luke? Luke, if that's... Yeah, maybe I was. Okay. <laughs> Somebody unpacked it. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I, I, I think, I, I think I, he was. He, he looked like he was about to say something. So, I'm struggling understanding how. So... You just you just say okay. You have six player. You have six players that you can have that's from your roster of twenty five. But of your roster of twenty five, you know you can include anybody that's not rostered on the twenty five, but is a youth player, right? So if you're a player that's, I think it's under the age of, I think it's under the age of seventeen, uh, nineteen, nineteen, seventeen. I'm a little lost on that one. But if you were normally on the youth program, right, you can be rostered I for one of those spots and not count for that. So if you were from the academy, so you're 23 man, yeah, your team squad, 23 squad doesn't have to include. And so when you you have your match day against whoever it is, you've got your seven on the bench, and one of them doesn't have to be within that 23, but it has to be from that youth system. Right. And so what happens is a Phil Foden will get way more time because he can always be on that bench. And as soon as Man City get, you know, their 14 or 17 goals up or whatever they're running up on Villa, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's good that we can still laugh about it. That was never a corner kick, but whatever. Um, if uh, we get more time players at man, you would get more time, you know, top teams would get time. And some of those bottom teams would get time too, because, you know, if you're getting beat five, zero, you can just send out a few young kids because you know what? The score is not going to matter. Just, let them play. That's a great point. It's a really great point. I'd love to get your. I get the that. logic behind it, but I I struggle with Bournemouth versus West Ham when you have uh, only so much space for say a defender, and you're putting a kid who's your best defender in your academy into a Premier League situation where he's not ready yet. Well, how about going that out to that stage and, and sucking it and getting like a shitty performance can be so detrimental. But, but for sure, but but literally to the point you just made, you literally used a team that did that poor a number of years ago. Um, what was his name? He was sixteen year old um, playing for West Ham, and they, he had such a good game. He was the um, was it Reed or I can see him young young black lad sixteen. He, anyways, he had, it'll come back to me in a minute. He had such an incredible game. He was the focal point of the match of the day analysis. Like he was, he, and he was 16. Right. He came on off the bench and, and he was so good. They were talking about now, 
Unfortunately, he hasn't unfortunately picked up on that momentum. And, because I, and you know, because of... Ex- I don't think that's good. I, I actually think that limelight is a negative. Could ruin him. Could ruin you him. can have an amazing be game for it, right? and be in all the papers on a Monday and then buy your own hype, think you've made it. Like there's... there's yeah. But you're not talking about, but now, yeah, but you're not talking about development of youth players now. What you're talking about oh, is development of a psyche. That's hand in hand. No, 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 no. It, it Developing a, a footballing talent is one thing. Now, all the team, now they, no, yeah. they, they, all the other teams focus and they have development of, of mental and, and, you know, media attention and stuff like that. But that, that comes with time. Jack Grealish was playing for the Villa and, and was a key player for us and was still, you know, getting featured in the paper because he got pissed drunk in, in Iron Apple or wherever it was. Well, of course he did. He was 18, 19. You know, that, that comes with the time. But you have to at least give them the opportunity. You know, if you're told you've got serious talent, but you're never given the... I think there is... I think you can control and you can talk and you can educate around a a mental state of how you need to act and you can shape and evolve and educate and mature a player quicker if they are given that opportunity. I personally feel that you could handle that. I but think you're, I you're think talking about putting players based on skill. I put my finger up. I think, I think, uh, I think you're right, Luke, that you can do that. But I do think what Paul's point is, is that it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen. Oh, I don't know if that was your point, but it's my point. I don't think that's going to happen with every player. And I think you, you, it's a risk you're going to take when you put a player into that position where they might, they might thrive in it and they might end up having an opportunity where it pushes them forward. They gain confidence from it. They get more first team opportunities. They go on to be the next big thing or they, the hype gets to them and they end up playing like putting so much expectation on themselves. The next two or three opportunities they get and then they shit the bed completely and then from a psyche perspective from a confidence perspective which is what i think you're talking about their confidence mm. might go out the window potentially so it's risky and and i mean i guess that's the that's sort of what football is in that scenario like at that age especially you're you don't necessarily know if an academy product given pressure situations in the Premier League, which is the biggest league in the world, um, is going how they're going to deal with that pressure. And you, it's risky to do it. So I like the idea of putting them in only when it doesn't matter to an extent. So you talked about earlier about putting them in, um, you know, oh, the other team's up 5-0. Let's chuck them on, give them some time. You know, Oh, we're up 5-0. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So it's that, it's that situation. It does work in that situation. But if you put them in a scenario where there's a ton of pressure, it can, it can kill a kid completely. So uh, there's so much nuance to that. I don't know that there's a right answer for it. I just wanted to chuck that in there that I think the nuance needs to be understood before you just go, it's going to work this way for everybody because I don't think it, I don't think it would. It can kill a kid, but it can also make a kid. Wayne Rooney didn't just show up Look, because he was exploited to that stuff. I mean, he came up right the, you know, I'd say a little bit before social media really exposed himself. But I mean, come on, that kid. Just, He's an anomaly, though. Let's be honest. But you'll have more of those if you can give him the chance. I, and, and that I, I know, I really would agree with that. You know, I went to school with a lad. Now I won't mention him on the pod. And he was an exceptional football player. He was, you know, he was the type of kid that. You'd be there, you'd be 12, 13. And I was, I was always a half decent player. I could read the play. You know, I loved defending. When I was younger, I was a lot fatter and I wasn't, I wasn't as, as physically able as I am now. But, you know, I used to watch this lad and he, he was just, he was just incredible. Like you'd watch him move around the pitch. Thanks, JP. Thanks <laughs> and he, and you, you'd see him like, move around that. the pitch and he'd, he, like he'd, he'd float. He'd literally float. That's the only way I'd, he'd just move around without any, any worry about anyone else. And, you know, he was on the Villa books from the age of eight, nine, ten, and he was 
And his brother, who wasn't really... I remember his brother was a decent-ish player, but his brother was um, heftier bound. And, and, and again, it wasn't, wasn't that natural talent. But because Morgan was so good, the brother was was signed on the books as well. And, and it was a weird thing because Morgan went on to have a very interesting career. And I, I, I'm still not 100%, but I, I believe from what he's, what he's mentioned over the years that he, I believe he was sold to Liverpool for a sizable fee at like 17, 18, around a million. Now... He then picked up a bad injury. He, he ran in with the round crowds, and and you know it, it unfortunately didn't work out for him. But you know that was that wasn't because of his lack of talent. It was because of the way he just didn't have the head for it. And I and I don't think that not playing these players or giving them the option avoids that. You know, one of the one of Brazil's all time greatest, I, I honestly believe, would have been Adriano if he had the mindset. But Adriano was a very perturbed individual. He'd lost his father, massive drinking problems, gambling, all kinds. But, you know, when he was doing his thing at Inter, like he, everyone was like, this guy is, this is, this is, this is the future Ronaldo. Like this guy is, he's strong, he's quicker, he's got a, he's got a better shot on him. You know, maybe he's not as, as technically gifted as Ronaldo, but he is, he is leading this Brazilian team. And all of a sudden, within a couple of years, He's gone and he's had to go back to Brazil because, you know, he had so many problems. I, I don't think that players need to be 19 or 20 or 20. Like It's mentality. I, think, I don't think age matters at all. It's mentality and, and how you develop that mentality. And if you've got a, a, a scenario or a structure where you can, can do that in a way that gets them through to the first team without putting them in a position where they might fuck themselves because they, 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 their confidence gets shot. And I think that's... But then that argues for the point that JP is making, does it not? It does. It argues where you, both points. That's why I said it's nuanced. I'm not, I'm not arguing one point or the other. I think right. it can go either way. And I think that's the thing you have to... It's the hardest thing with a kid, I think, because you don't know what a kid's going to be. When they're 16 to when they're 18 can be a massive difference. You know, I think when you look at Wayne uh, Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney was ready and it was obvious. You know, you could tell immediately when you saw him with a football at his feet, with adults around him, with adult men around him, he was he was there. He was already there. Whereas some other players that they might not necessarily be in that um, position. They may be in a position where they're they've got the skills, they've got the shot, they've got all the technical ability, but from a mental perspective, they're they're still act they still act like kids a little bit. Um, and de- determining that def- you know is really difficult. And that's why I say it's incredibly nuanced and hard to hard to get it right. And I think that's what the jobs the job of an academy should be, or the academy coaches should be, is recognizing that and find, f- finding a way to make it flourish within the system that you've you've built. I, I actually think you have to learn from the past. When Harry Kane is the only f- current superstar that is at a product of his academy, uh, Marcus Rashford's maybe another one if he gets to that level. The reality is, Premier League. I wouldn't say he's the only one. Premier League. Zaha, Crystal Palace, like give me, I went through the list. There's not actually not that many superstars that are academy players of their parent club. Well, the, the most prized asset in the English Premier League that's not at a top four team is an asset, but is, is an academy player. Great. That's, uh, it's a single player you're talking about. Like it's a big deal, but it's one player. No, but you were saying, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that the, and that's, appeared, and that's you know, this season. That's this season. I'm talking yeah, about and it's, and it's a one-off. I think, I think, yeah, I think you got to look at it across the board, how often that happens. I think that's Paul's point. Oh, but if they're not set up not to, to achieve that, then, then why is that, why is that surprising? Not, you know, if, if these players are having to disappear off to, to Germany and, to, and, and, and they're not given the opportunity, I, and you know, I like Jaden Sancho is without doubt. I think it's more than just being given the opportunity. 
I think the Premier League is a league that we all love because it's super hyper competitive. I think we love it because foreign talent, the best players on the planet, come into the league. I think a consequence of that is academies don't feed clubs like maybe they could or maybe it was intended to. And that's a too bad, so sad situation because you still have phenomenal talent, the best league on the planet, because you have the best players on the field. I think the the notion that academies should even be there to feed the parent club is it's not likely to be a real reliable source of players. You're going to get the occasional player that nobody's expecting, like a Alexander Arnold. Liverpool are going to win the title largely because an academy oh, player surprised them. Why? Because but why? If you if you are investing the money and you're signing children from the age of eight and you're and you're featuring, you know, and you're giving them three time training sessions, you're you're doing X, Y, and Z. Like, why? Here's here's I'm going to jump on you a little bit there. I I don't think they are giving enough money. You know, we say Chelsea's academies run off ten to fifteen million pounds, but what is their overall revenue? What is their profit on any given year, right? Everton's total revenue is 180 million pounds a year. And how many of their players have come through and done extra? I mean, you got the Rooney and you have like a few of them actually right now, Calvin Lewert or however you say his last name. And there's like two or three that are coming through at Everton finally. But where has that been for the last 20 years, right? And so why can't, why can't the EPL promote something like a percentage of revenue has to go let's say let's just throw out a number here and say 20 percent of a whole club's revenue has to go to academy you would get far more players you get far more you get better coaching for sure you would just have better uh, you'd have a better turnout and that's just it they're not putting enough money to academies even though they can make money on them and not supplement their team with them which they are doing they're actually making a shit ton of money and they're not it's the amount that they're making isn't you know, the right amount for the amount that they're spending. But why, why would anybody force that? Why, why are you telling me how to run my club and run my business? They are still owned by people. Because they are you're, still you're already enforced by certain rulings under the FA. You're already enforced by, you know, and, and ultimately when you're being governed under the FA, a, a big part that all the teams are, are asked to is to contribute to the, I, if as much as it sounds awful, the greater good of the national team. Now, Germany, Germany are a prime example of this. German are one of Germany is one of the most influential national teams of the last ten years, and they literally put that the German, you know, at footballing association put conditions in that made this a, a, a something that had to, to had to work. You, you're making weird signals. I don't. Paul looks like he wants to shoot himself in the head, but I think he just means he's next. So, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's weird? I've been doing this the entire time. I don't know. So I have, I have a problem because you seem to always tie it back to England. Premier League clubs are little micro businesses that handle their business the way they want. Academies have levels. There's four levels. There is no standard level of academy from four, which is the best level you possibly can have for an academy to one, which is maybe garbage. Premier League doesn't make you have any level. You choose to have a business below your main business that either feeds your parent team or is a revenue generator or is just good for the community or whatever it is. Nobody's making anyone run their club a certain way. Everything we're talking about would be forced business models, which I think would be a very big issue. 
Well, it's, it's J- similar to JP. No, wait, JP's losing his mind. JP's got well, it. Go ahead, JP. Is with modern owners, they have to go through a whole like repertoire of questions. They have to go through all these background checks to see that they can actually sustain the business, right? They don't want another exactly. They don't want yeah. another lead. And so they're they, you got the FFP, you got all this stuff, right? So it seems like they're trying to go away from this idea that clubs are supposed to be just some plaything for some mega rich person. So why is another rule really going to matter? I mean, everyone says, oh, it's another rule. It's another rule. But these guys have to go through so many different thousands of rules anyways. They have to apply for taxes. They got to do all this extra crap. Why can't they put something on these clubs that pre- prevents them from potentially going under or overspending? Yeah, 100%. So, guys, uh, we're running out of time we're running out of time here and uh, I want to know, Paul, have, have, have we missed anything? Uh, do we need to, do we need to uh, get any more topics that you had on your list there? No, I would say uh, a couple of summary points just to throw out because I think the idea of investing in academies is on the surface. Why wouldn't you do that? It would make sense. You could develop talent that could come into the Premier League and you could s- subsidize your players with talent that you don't have to pay for. That has been done by failed teams. There's a certain documentary series about one such team that invested millions and millions into their academy, facility and players. And even though they were planting the seeds of developing talent, the fruit fruit never came. Sunderland's academy was really heavily invested in and it didn't help them at all. Yeah, but they invested poorly. But that was a poorly managed team. But he, it's a good point, though. And I, th- I get what Paul's saying. And I'm, again, that's the thing. Poorly managed business. It, it comes down to whether or not a club sees that academy as a resource and how they use that resource. So there's like we, we've talked about this already. The different clubs use it in different ways, and that's going to be different for each club. But I do like the idea of expecting some sort of um, uh, minimum from clubs to 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 feed back into a system that's supposed to be good for the league and f- good for for the for the game. Uh, and I don't think I think which again, which is financial fair play, does a similar thing. I don't think like enforcing or expecting uh, uh, clubs to do that with their academy, even in, in a small way. Which I think JP mentioned just the one player, or, or I'm not sure it was. Uh, if it was JP or Luke, but one of you guys mentioned sort of the one it was JP, the, the one player on the bench who's from the academy that is always gets a seat. Like that's a small thing to do in a, a 25 man squad, but it's a, it's a small enough thing that starts to give that credence and give it a, a push to a, to, I think a positive space for football. Luke, did you have anything else you wanted to add? And then we'll get JP. We'll give us the last word. Yeah, no, I, I, I and I, I understand and I, I like that Paul plays kind of a bit of a devil's advocate in this one, but, but I, I, I think, the point that I'm making, the point that we need to start looking at is that the UK and England especially has wanted success. They've wanted success on a national level for a long, long time, and it's not coming. Now, you have to look at where it is coming. It's coming in Germany. Spain are doing well because these countries are investing in their local raised talent. There's no point. And, you know, we've tried, we, we literally mentioned before we started Gael Kakuta at, at Chelsea, there has been so many examples of that where young players have been picked up. There has been the Freddie Adu, you know, like what, you know, really, you ask any footballing fan, what happened to Freddie Adu? This guy was sponsored by Nike at 14. This guy was was touted as the future, the talisman of American football. And in I could you couldn't even tell me where he is right now. And this is what I mean. Like there is systems that I've sh- that have been proven 
to work for. And and there is the likes of, I know the point you're making as well, you know, one success story, but I'd say the other way around. One failed story doesn't mean that it all fails. The Lehman Brothers went under, you know, there are there are financial institutions that went under, but but that doesn't mean that that, that institution is wrong. Your okay, counter-arguments, because I, I had one example? Come on. Before we, before we, no, 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 it's not, it's not, no. What I'm saying is I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at literally, I'm looking at the, 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 the simplicity and the beautiful nature of football. And one of the teams that play the most beautiful and, and most eye-catching football is Ajax. And it's not been one year or two years or five years or financial investment that's done that. They've been doing that for 30 years. They produced players that in, that reinvented the sport, that reinvented the 4-3-3 system, the Cruyff turn, Cruyff. you know, the, and Edgar Davids and all these players and, and the elites and all these that have come off the back of it. I, I, my point is simple. There is that potential with academy. You know, PSG are, are, are the, one of the richest um, teams in the world. And when I spoke to the head groundsman there, because I was there watching the game, he said that they've invested more money than any team, four times more money, because they've 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 demanded more training pitches, more investment in the youth, and and they are they want the best training and youth academy in the world. That that's literally what's been passed down as a mission statement. Mission. So so Luke, I'm going to interrupt you because we're running we are running out of time here, and I don't I don't want to go on too long here. Paul, I'm going to give you one quick moment to respond, and ten seconds, and then we're going to yeah, and then we're going to let JP finish off. Ten words, quickly. The best academy on the planet is Barcelona's. Barcelona what? B is the best academy. The reason being, Barcelona B is not an academy team. It's a second division team that feeds the first division team. The style of play, the coaching, the mentality, the philosophy are all uniform from this team to this team, but they're playing against men. They're not in some artificial academy league they're in a second division league. Boys playing against men, the Barcelona way, feeds Barcelona players into the Barcelona program. And they have, okay. maybe not in, as recently as Ajax, but traditionally have always had a very good academy for feeding first team players that are Barcelona mm. superstar players. So that's, that's a good point. Like Fabregas couldn't make it into Barcelona at the time, but he was Barcelona B and he went to Arsenal and killed it. That's a good point, Paul, and uh, well, well said. Um, JP, did you want to want to finish off with? Uh, yeah, um, I think that's a great part for you know our part two of this section. I was going to uh, say, but, yeah, go ahead. But I think one of the best EPL years uh, in the last decade was Leicester's win, right? And I think most people would agree that was one of the best seasons ever because it was a season of an unknown. What's going to happen? It was the worst season. There's these young players come through and they have that aspect of the unknown. They need to be pushed. They need to get that chance. And the EPL currently does not give them a platform to have that chance. That needs to be changed and it can be changed because of the COVID issue. That's the way you ended it. Can I just say one thing just before we start off? I totally, I totally agree. I totally agree. But I do think that the, this has already started to change before COVID because the under 23s is not the under 23s anymore. It's now labeled as the premier, PL2, Premier League 2. The Premier League is already yeah. trying to make that. A, now, obviously, it's a long way off and not enough's being done, as is always the way with, you know, financial fair play didn't work, this didn't work. So I, I, I think that Paul's point is valid. I think, yes, 
boys need to, to, to be given that, you know, you need to be kicked the shit out of by a 25, 26-year-old uh, championship player to, to understand that you've got a tough enough sure. so, yeah. so on that note, Luke, I know Paul wants to say more. Paul, save it because we are going to do a part two of this podcast. This has been brilliant, guys. This has been How do I say Leicester had no academy players when they won the title in part two? How you do I say that then? You could, you could, I, I could start, start it with it that. Totally finish. <laughs> It was an anomaly. Thank you. Uh, thank you for listening to the North End podcast. Uh, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. JP, great. To have you. Thank you for being here. We'll definitely have you back. Um, uh, despite being a Villa fan, we don't rarely would have two of you in one place, but uh, you were, you were well. The best pods when we have two of us. Fuck off. You were, well, you were well worth it. Uh, cheers guys. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, we'll be, we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Well, bye. This is the North.